0: We have to talk today about sports because my favorite team has just won the championship. It's Wednesday, the 28th of October, 2020, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are now the Major League Baseball World Series champions, which has been a long time coming, years in the making. The LA Dodgers' history is a storied one full of recent heartbreak and disappointment and it's a big deal that this team is now officially recognized as the best. It's been an unofficial truth for some time and it's a monkey off the backs of Dodgers fans and of my father in particular who I want to dedicate this episode to as a lifelong diehard LA Dodgers fan. He had raised me as such as well but I've Basically, jettisoned this identity as an adult. I stopped being a sports fan very actively through adolescence. Uh, I had been playing Little League baseball, loving the game, dreaming in my backyard, swinging the baseball bat, of being in the World Series myself, fantasizing about the plays and my career and stuff like that. But That stopped, and it hasn't been until more recently that I got back into sports nominally as a person. And I want to talk today about my journey through this kind of relationship with sports in general and what sports mean culturally, what their significance is, and how we each grapple with things beyond our control, like being a fan and what that's all about. So join me if you can. I'll try and keep this uh, general and universal and not get too inside baseball, if you will, which is a funny term relevant here. It's about the analytics and the <laughs> excruciating minutia that fills baseball uh, fandom and analysis. I'll try and stay away from that stuff. So, Yeah let's get into it. The first point I want to make is how baseball exists culturally in the USA. It's considered America's pastime. That's not really the case anymore. American football is by far the most popular sport in the US, and I really dislike that game. Football represents everything about sports that I dislike. It rubs me the wrong way. It's all about this kind of Ra raw patriotism, nationalism, uh, tribalism, your team, your city or region against them. It has a lot of these warlike elements, both culturally and technically built into the game. It's played on a gridiron. It's about moving your infantry, you know, foot by foot, yard by yard, etc down the field kind of like a battle and it has a lot of physical intense contact a lot of violence in it it also is full of commercialism and cheerleaders and excessive consumerism and all the food and all the lights and all the fanfare and you know the halftime show it has all this stuff packed into it and it's excessive and it's just off-putting for me As somebody that does appreciate games, I can get into a football play, but the pace is weird. Um, It's all broken up by these kind of announcers and commercials and timeouts and all these little things. And I've just never liked football. I've always been a baseball fan and basketball, more so as an adult. But baseball is America's pastime. It was invented, basically, in the States. And... It used to be the kind of game that people could just show up at after work and just take in the game. It has a very picnic park element. You know, it's paced slowly with bursts of excitement and action. But it's the kind of game that you can have a conversation during and just kind of keep your eye on the field, which is very beautiful and poetic and just kind of extends outwardly each field with its own dimensions and it has just a lot of lovely elements George Carlin has a great stand-up routine about this comparing baseball to football and how much nicer baseball is I agree with all that unfortunately America is a little bored with baseball and it's become a little less exciting in the mainstream which is fine so the other point though is that sports in general do have these kind of Tribal warlike elements to them. I mean, the bottom line is that sports do sublimate the human energy and desire for aggression and competition into a healthy arena. These kind of games, these sports games, they give us rules. They give us rules of combat, if you will, without any of the real existential risk, no death unless you count the concussions suffered by uh, athletes in violent games like football or boxing. Otherwise, these are games of peace that allow men specifically, but people in general, to channel their aggressions into a healthy form of combat. And I've never really felt like a strong relationship to that, even from a fan's perspective, where you're not doing the fighting or the combat, but you are cheering on your team. I've never really enjoyed this element of divisiveness and the us versus them partisanship that we see so much now in politics, how, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are basically like sports teams now. And when you get into political conversations, it's almost like you are talking about your team versus the other. It's not about political debate. It's not about policy analysis and what really makes sense. It's about beating the other side. I think Mitch McConnell represents that that the most. He's just all about his side winning, not necessarily playing by rules. And growing up as a kid, I was kind of oblivious to all that, of course. But as I entered adolescence in middle school, I also noticed this other cultural phenomenon in the states especially which is that we really do have this funny thing happen where kids choose their groups and each group is kind of defined by its predominant interests like nerds into math or theater kids into drama class or sports kids into the jock group you know And I was an art kid. I discovered music and nirvana when I was a middle schooler. And I just, I was all about wanting to be kind of angsty and punk and grunge and getting long hair and then dyeing my hair. And, you know, I remember as a kid in Little League, I'd been playing baseball and loving it and doing well. But by the time I was maturing... I started dyeing my hair and I remember being ridiculed a little bit, not badly, not bullied, but mocked slightly for being this kind of, you know, rocker, different kind of kid. And I decided that sports wasn't my element, wasn't my realm that I could comfortably exist in. And now that I live in Germany, I noticed that sports, football specifically, but all sports and all physical activity is really for everybody. It doesn't have the same issue that the U.S. has with like the hierarchical high school groupings. And it's a shame that I grew up like that. I don't know if it's still the same way. I kind of think it is. But the point being that I had these multiple elements working against me and my relationship with sports. We have the cultural element of just not being a sports kid, not being a jock, and also these, like, more deeper fundamental elements of not wanting to be part of a a team and a fan base, you know, kind of, like, holding up my signs and cheering for my side versus the other side. That's never really appealed to me, and it still doesn't. So, yeah, I eschewed sports out of my life for a long time. You know, I thought it was kind of a silly peasant activity to care about. And I felt, you know, if I, if I can say it, I felt too cool (laughs) to care about sports because it's not cool in my opinion to like wear the jackets and the, the gear of your team. You know, I think it's really basic, frankly, but I've come as I've matured to appreciate what sports do offer to people generally. It's, a common denominator. It's something that we can all bond over somewhat, if only superficially. It's an easy thing that two guys who have just met each other can talk about. Even if they have different fan bases, like a New York Yankees fan and a Boston Red Sox fan, their fan bases hate each other, but they can bond over that rivalry. They can talk on a common level using the same language. And I think that's what sports really can provide And I appreciate that. I I like that sports offers that. And unlike politics, sports do agree on facts, (laughs) which is nice. The rules are clear for the games and plays can be argued over and decisions can be discussed. And, you know, sports talk radio is a huge industry for that reason. But essentially, facts are agreed upon, whereas in politics, it's almost like people are talking different languages, you know. The pro-choice abortion people and the anti-choice pro-life people are talking on totally different levels, you know. One is talking about civil liberties and the other one is talking about spiritual conception of biology and stuff like that. So these are just totally different conversations, whereas in sports, at least you have one agreed upon topic, and I think that's nice. So as I've matured, and maybe because I've started to maybe lose a sense of belonging that I had when I was younger with a music group and a band and, you know, being in an indie music scene or like an electronic music scene, maybe that's when I do start craving sports more. Um, Because we're talking about subcultures, we're talking about like genres of interest within the human species that we really focus on and glom onto. And I've found just so many other things to care about in my life that I've always thought sports were like not necessary. But all that said, the Los Angeles Dodgers will always and forever mean something to me because they were instilled in me as a youngster. And I can never forget that. It represents this thing that my family can still bond over. And I value that. And I'm fortunate to bond over that. I think there are plenty of households that are broken up where kids don't relate to their parents as well. And perhaps the sports team is easy to reject along with the relationship to the parents or something like that. So in a way, the L.A. Dodgers represents my love for my family and my dad specifically, so that's something I, I cherish, even as I've tried to get rid of it as a distraction from my life, as a, as a pointless annoyance that sucks time and energy out of my life. So I want to talk about this team for a bit, specifically. I'll start with the cities. And I say cities plural because the Dodgers actually started their franchise history in New York in Brooklyn, specifically. And my dad was born in New York to a real Yankees family, actually. Um, He was kind of the rebel in the family to choose the Dodgers as his team because, at the time, the Brooklyn Dodgers shared a city rivalry with the New York Yankees and the New York Giants. And the Yankees, you know, they had, like, all the major guys like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and all those guys, Joe DiMaggio Um, But the Dodgers had someone special called Jackie Robinson, who should be a pop icon even outside the realm of sports. He was the first black American to play in Major League Baseball, and he broke this color barrier. So he was a civil rights leader at the same time as being an all-star athlete. And my dad totally got attached to this guy who historically is also one of my favorites. And He just made the Dodgers his team. And they moved to Los Angeles, California in 1955 or something like that. And my dad also moved to Los Angeles, not then, but at some point. And that's where he met my mom, where she's from. And they got married there. And it's just been a part of our family as this idea. And my mom is like a cool baseball, I don't know, loving mom do you love the Dodgers I'm not sure Um, but she also likes the game which is cool and yeah it's been this this thing for for them and they decided to raise me in Sacramento California which is in the north of the state closer to the Bay Area where the San Francisco Giants and Oakland Athletics play but I was a Dodgers fan because of my dad and every summer we would drive down multiple times a year to LA and stay with my grandparents and I would go to these Dodger games And it was very impactful for me. I just remember the feeling of seeing the awesome looking baseball field, you know, in this kind of, you know, energized atmosphere, this special aura of Dodger Stadium, where all this magic happened, where so many people would gather to witness an event. I mean, we don't have that very much in life, you know, sports represent this arena for people to assemble on mass and cheer or mourn collectively. And that's a really big deal. That's a really big deal. I'll get back to that. Um, that aside for the moments, LA has always been, if I'm honest, it's my spiritual home. It's not ever really been my technical home. I've lived there a little bit in my life, technically, with a home address, but, uh, you know, I wasn't raised there properly, and I didn't really become an adult there either properly, and yet it's, st- it's kind of where I feel the most at home, mainly because of it's perfect weather, it's really this oasis in Southern California, and it's lifestyle, you know, it represents to me space, spaciousness, light you know, quality sunlight and daylight and relaxed atmosphere and uh, recreational energy. Um, the good life, you know, that's what L.A. feels like to me. And I just I cherish it for those feelings. And I identify as, an, as a Californian because of that, even though I've spent most of my adult life as a New Yorker, I don't have that same affinity for New York as a place New York is too gritty, too dirty, too loud and too frustrating and competitive and angry and tense, you know, and it's fandoms are like that too. You know, it's rivalries with Boston or Philadelphia or or wherever. It's like, it's all so, yeah, it has this, you know, I'm going to sound elitist here again. It's, it's, I guess something I have to accept. It has this working class stiff energy, this fisted energy about it. And I've just never quite felt that, even when I've been a New York fan of certain teams. So LA has a special place for me, and I think the Dodgers have something to do with that. I don't like the other LA teams. I dislike the Los Angeles Lakers as a basketball franchise, and I am ambivalent about the Los Angeles Clippers, and the I guess there's a football team there now too. I don't even know. But the Dodgers are special, and the Dodgers as a team... Having come from Brooklyn is meaningful. And their name, the Dodgers, that's kind of cool, comes from Trolley Dodger or, like, the kind of person back in the day, you know, of, like, I don't know, the 20s or something, some New Yorker dodging out of traffic, avoiding the streetcars. That's kind of the spirit of it. And it has just such a better name than, like, a lot of these classic team names, like the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Giants. I mean, these names are so silly, you know. And modern team names are also really silly. I'm thinking of something like the Galaxy or the Avalanche. Or, you know, like names are now really too cool sounding or something. I think Dodgers, the Dodgers, really strikes this nice classic balance. So, yeah, I really like the L.A. Dodgers. And finally, about the team, their colors, their uniform. It's a superficial point, obviously, but it's meaningful. I think it's meaningful to more people than who, who will admit it. The Dodgers wear blue and white. Their shade of blue is kind of a royal blue. It's not ideal. It's not as navy as I would like. But it's deep enough. And it's regal. And it's crisp. And it's clean. Especially contrasted to that nice white linen. And they use red as an accent. Which does give this kind of Americana touch to it. Um, And it's like a, you know, it's a nice pure crimson red. And... I just love the crisp look of this team. I think blue and white are just such a great color combo. As an artist, it's also what I use most in my imagery, especially of the sky and clouds. And I just really value this color scheme. And color speaks a lot to me. So like the San Francisco Giants, they wore they wear orange and black with cream as their accent color. And it's it's not very appealing to me at all, you know? And as much as I love San Francisco, I just have never liked that team. Partly inborn because they're one of the Dodger rivals, so I was kind of taught growing up to dislike them. But I've had my, my chances to change allegiances, and the San Francisco Giants never, never tempted me, even when they have been great and have had fantastic, interesting players on their team. I've always been a Dodgers fan. Similarly, the Oakland A's, they wear yellow and green, Uh, which is kind of like this crisp lemon lime kind of look but they don't quite do it in that way they do it in a more dusty you know sports sporty way it's just not as interesting to me the New York Yankees they wear black and white technically it's a navy blue but it basically plays as black it reads as black and they wear pinstripes and their suits their uniforms look really nice to me actually and sometimes I wish that I was a Yankees fan. I think I would be happier in life, frankly, if I was raised a Yankees fan and as a New Yorker, because they're a, perennial, they're a perennial winning team. They're a storied, successful franchise with so many great players. But it wasn't in the cards for me. I just have never been able to like them. They were also this rival. As a child, I was taught that growing up, and I've just never been able to root for them. And it hasn't been that hard to resist it because they're kind of the evil empire of the sports, of baseball, at least, of the sports uh, story. So, yeah, the L.A. Dodgers are my team. I'll mention one more team here. I know it's a little uh, esoteric for some people, but the New York Metropolitans, the Mets, cool name, great city. I did attach myself to them when I was living in New York, and they were really good when I was living there, so it was easy to like them. It was a fun little side project to get back into sports uh, in the 2000s, 2010s with the Mets because they were likable uh, and they didn't demand too much of my attention. Uh, I didn't have to study them and understand everything about them. They were easy enough to just catch here and there and to go to the games and to bond with some people I knew around that team. And I liked that. And I think if I still lived in New York, I could continue being a Mets fan, maybe. But they'll never have the same deep emotional significance that the Dodgers have for me. It's funny. I mean, there's so many aspects to being a sports fan. And I don't like the, the aspect of just, you know... Connecting to the local team and just being a part of that by default, like a religion. The one that you're given, the one that you just take on and cheer for because it's what you've always known. I like finding little aspects within something that speak to me specifically. And there have been players over the years that I'll just quickly mention here. My favorite in the 90s when I was a kid was actually probably not a Dodger, not even a baseball player. It was probably Michael Jordan. He was the one that really first excited me as an athlete. Obviously. I mean, you know, I think he did that for every nineties kid. Um, he was bigger than life, larger than life. And you know, that energy was just so alluring. You know, I, I think I even got into the color schemes of red and black because of the Chicago bulls that he played for. And He got me first into basketball, I would say, which didn't pick up until later in life. But he was probably my favorite athlete as a kid. And in the baseball arena, my favorite player was also probably not a Dodger. It was probably Ken Griffey Jr. who played on the Seattle Mariners and the Cincinnati Reds. He had the nicest looking swing to me. And, you know, he had just a good charisma. He was charismatic and fun and youthful and exciting and powerful and cool. And something about him was very alluring to me as a kid. Even though he never played for my team, I identified with him as a player somehow. And that meant something to me. But of course, most of my favorite players, when I think back on it casually, uh, were Dodgers. Kirk Gibson and Oral Hershiser from my childhood, um, having won the series in 88 together. They're kind of like, I think of them as like, as Marvel superheroes, you know, Kirk Gibson is like the Wolverine character and Oral Hershiser is like the Cyclops character, the more exacting kind of preppy guy. And Kirk Gibson is the really rugged classic, you know, man's man athlete kind of guy. They left an impression in no small part because of the most famous home run of all time hit in the 1988 World Series by Kirk Gibson in Game 1. This was before my time, really, but I think with the help of repeated media... What's the word? Just repeated viewings and replays of of this clip on youtube now forever you know it's just become such a part of folklore and he is this folk hero really and especially for dodgers fans he's helped buttress my sense of allegiance to this team because of this kind of historic history it's just really cool it gives me goosebumps to watch that clip and to think about it even But when I had more cognizance and more wherewithal in my life, I really liked Sean Green as a player when I was younger. He was this outfielder who just, he was quiet. He had a a dignity to him, but he was also a great hitter. And he was kind of like a soft-spoken superstar in my mind. And then Andre Ethier in more recent memory, I've really enjoyed as a player. I like these left-handed players because I'm left-handed as well. And these guys that kind of just, they're subtle, you know, they're not in your face. They're kind of, they have a kind of moral character about them somehow. I just love those kind of players. They they don't stand out as obviously the best athlete in the game, but they speak to me somehow. That said, I've also actually liked villains that played the game. I like Barry Bonds, actually, like the most hated vilified player especially from a Dodgers point of view like playing on the Giants home run king of history but a steroid user who hated the media and had a really like kind of angry energy about him I actually appreciate Barry Bonds as a as a figure and the same with like Alex Rodriguez who played for the Yankees who just had this kind of awkward nastiness about him this like inability to properly handle the media and fans and just came off wrong you know but was so talented that it almost didn't matter but people kind of love to hate him i kind of like these figures kobe bryant as well even though i have hated the los angeles lakers wearing yellow and purple as a color scheme never was a cool look and the name lakers is stupid coming from the great lakes region where they're originally from Somehow I like Kobe Bryant because he's so excellent as a player and has this kind of villainous energy in his personal life and is like, you know, just like a calculated assassin kind of attitude. I like that too, somehow, but I don't relate or define myself with them. One more player I will mention, another basketball player is Carmelo Anthony, who was the best player on the New York Knicks team that I was into as a New York fan, who was full of bravado and probably thought he was even better than he really was but he was cool to me I liked his energy I liked his swagger somehow so I'm attracted to that as well but not as much as these classic Dodgers players that kind of existed under the radar a little bit and now currently I've loved Clayton Kershaw who is the best player best pitcher ever probably Uh, Maybe with Sandy Koufax, another old-timer Dodger that I've admired, as this kind of ace who just does his own thing. But Kershaw, he has a cool name. He's a left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers' lifetime. And he's really deserved this ring. I think that's a big storyline that people really care about, that this best pitcher of our era finally has a championship, and that's cool. And I just think he's a cool guy, kind of scruffy, kind of just a modern guy. And similarly, I love Cody Bellinger as another Dodgers outfielder batter. He won the MVP recently, so he's obviously great, but he's just cool too. He's like permafried, he's like always stoned looking, and he's like super Californian, has this vibe about him, like totally chill. And something I've really liked about him, and a big reason I've gotten back into baseball at least a little bit, is... Because there was this cultural moment in baseball recently, this scandal of the Houston Houston Astros in Texas cheating. And in 2017, the Dodgers played the Astros in the championship and lost barely. And it's because the Astros cheated and it's now publicly known that they cheated. And when all this came out, it got my attention as a kind of moral injustice and I started following that story quite closely and Cody Bellinger spoke the most candidly about it he was just super cool being interviewed and like just speaking you know honestly from the hip and that's rare in sports you know we have this journalism around sports that I find to be a total show just a facade like pointless like who cares what athletes are going to say about any stupid question you know how'd you feel out there tonight oh just felt good just went out and did my thing like who cares journalism and sports is ridiculous unless you're uncovering something real like a cheating scandal you know and I've just really liked this player because of how he handles himself how he conducts himself so that's as nerdy as I'll get about about baseball I'll leave it at that okay so let me just talk a little more about the LA Dodgers recently they've been the best team in baseball probably for the past four or five years. And by that, I mean they've had the best players, definitely the best pitcher, and they've been in the championship every year, except for one of them when they lost just before the championship. And in 2017, that's kind of when I got back into baseball marginally because the Dodgers were so good. And there was a scandal, a sports scandal that year. It came out later. But basically, the Houston Astros in Texas cheated to win the World Series against the Dodgers. And they spied and stole pitches through crafty means, you know, using technology and relaying that information to the batters. And they had this, like, really elaborate scheme to cheat and win. And when that story came out, I got very curious and invested in it. It was an interesting, fascinating story and to know that my team was robbed was cheated out of the championship because of that. It really hurt me it offended me you know it really morally offended me and so I started following that and then the following year, the Dodgers made it the championship again against the Boston Red Sox and they lost again, but that series has also been kind of um touched by this sense of injustice because some of the key players um, from the Astros were now with the Red Sox. And there was this kind of sense of, have they cheated as well? And then the following year, the Dodgers lost to this underdog team, the Washington Nationals, um, which was, again, painful. And basically what I'm saying is that in recent memory, the L.A. Dodgers have, like, had this (laughs) – this curse on them where they lose almost because they have so much pressure on them. And then these other external forces are acting on them and they just don't get the lucky breaks. They have like the unlucky breaks, you know, even though they're built to win and there's this expectation that they, they win, they crack, they, they crack under pressure, they break and they uh, choke. I have to say that this means something to me. I relate to it, I'm sorry to say. I feel like that. I feel like this this team or this person with all the tools built to win, built to succeed. And yet I don't quite get there. you know, I, I, I don't want, I feel like I've internalized this struggle of this sports team. So the fact that they've won the championship last night, uh, this is now the 28th of October, 2020. And I've just, you know, woken up to see my dad's email, which is nice, a nice way to see it. And then I open up Reddit and I see that the Dodgers are the world champions. You know, I'm not full of joy. I'm not full of ecstasy. I, I have a sense of relief, like good, Finally, that's the way the universe should be. It would be crushingly disappointing if they had lost. And the fact that they've won is relief. And that's funny, isn't it? And this is also why I don't really like being a sports fan. I think the most I can get as a sports fan is equilibrium good the universe is in order that's all I can really get I don't get this jubilant celebratory excitement you know I just can't relate to a team like the Washington Nationals who come from behind and no one expects them to win they're the underdog and then suddenly they surge with all this momentum and then they get to run out and cheer together because they've done it and this magical Hollywood moment you know I don't relate to that at all because I I don't I've never been a fan of a team like that. And I don't feel like that as a person. I don't feel, I don't relate to it. I relate to this kind of storied franchise with expectations, you know, given all the tools to succeed and they don't succeed. But when they finally do, it's like, good, good. It's in order that worked. I'm happy about it, you know, but it's like this, like (laughs) it's silly, isn't it? It's like, the happiest I can get is like, yeah, cool. Great. <laughs> and you know, I can't, I can't just be like, yeah, cheering. Like I don't get that, you know? And I, I felt it a little even more during that world cup with Germany. Like I was more excited then for Germany. I don't know why. Um, somehow I didn't expect them, but I kind of did like, why shouldn't Germany win it? You know? Um. So yeah. I think that's what's so frustrating to, to be a fan of sports. There's just, there's so much in it that is out of your control. And I talked to my dad about this. It's kind of like the movie. It reminds me of this movie called Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. He plays this Red Sox baseball fan. And it's a rom-com, you know, she falls in love with him. And she puts the she says this line that has always kind of touched me. She says, I think it's beautiful that you're a baseball fan. It means that you put yourself in this thing that you have no control over. And that's beautiful. And I I, I think I just disagree. <laughs> I don't like that feeling of putting myself in like out of control and put like investing in something that I have no part in. I hate it to be honest. Like I don't want to feel so out of control and to just put my heart on the line and let whatever happens happen. You know what I mean? And as a sports fan, that's what you have to do. So, you know, we're in this funny moment. Um, I'm in Berlin. I'm detached from California, especially a nine hour difference. But like I can't quite watch these games, and I can't quite follow along with everything. But we're in this quarantine era of time um, in Berlin. We're having a surge of, again of coronavirus. Supposedly, uh, there's not a lot going on right now. We have a we have a curfew, so I haven't been going out very much in the last weeks. And I've been following I've been following this World Series best of seven series of games that the Dodgers have to win. And they won four games out of six. And I did follow these games. And I watched one of them, which was this heartbreaking game four, which really hurt to watch because they choked and they gave up the game, they lost it. And I watched that one streaming online. I stayed up until 5am to watch that. But sometimes I do that anyway. And it sucked it was awful and i i remembered like right this is why i don't get too close i don't want to be too invested i'd rather wake up have my coffee look at the news and notice that the dodgers win or not oh they lost okay i'm just going to move on to other news i don't need to care about that oh they won okay then i can like dork out a little bit and pay some attention and read the details and who did what and read some analysis and it's kind of fun to spend you know 20 minutes on that topic But otherwise, I don't want to care because it hurts to care. It hurts to care. The way my dad puts it is that he would rather feel something (laughs) than not feel at all. He would rather feel heartbreak than apathy. And I don't relate to that at all. I just don't relate to that. I've had a lot of pain in my life. I've I've felt heartbreak plenty and all the kinds of disappointments that people go through in life. Like, it's not nice. It's just not nice. And I get it, that you have to risk something in the world. You have to risk something in order to experience life, in order to, you know, in order to taste greatness, you have to understand the agony of defeat, perhaps, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Um, That makes sense to me. And so I think it's just about um uh, properly adjusting your yourself to the situation and to understand how much you can put on the line, how much you can gamble with your emotions or your time and energy. What can you invest? At least in something like a relationship or work. You can invest your own personal energy, your attention and your collaborative energy with somebody and something. You can put yourself into it versus with sports, which is purely passive, right? You just invest your time. That's it. And you do get out what you put in. I think that that's probably true. But I I would say for for instance for the Dodgers, I've put in a lifetime of casual investments and I'm I know that that just won't go away. It's kind of like a religion, you know, like if you're raised a religion, you can become an atheist. But you still have a kind of uh disposition toward the religion you are raised in. You know what I mean? So like I identify as an atheist, probably an agnostic atheist to be more clear. But I definitely have more of a propensity toward Christianity than I do toward Hinduism, right? Because I understand Christianity a lot better it was around me growing up it was like I was of it you know what I mean so Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism even just don't make as much sense to me and I might even prefer Buddhism and Judaism like I'm a little closer to with some influence there too but I might even like take an overview of the religions and think, okay, what would be my favorite? And I might say Buddhism or Jainism or, you know, maybe even something that's not religious, but like something like transcendental meditation from a spiritual point of view uh, and on and on, you know, secular humanism. But in the end, like Christianity will always mean something to me coming from like a Christian culture, I would say. I think what I'm really getting at here is this idea of tradition and traditionalist attitudes, and that perhaps this is a traditional aspect of my persona, that I have this baseball franchise in my storied past, in my family history and heritage, that I am happy enough to hold on to. It's something that I can cherish. It's something that I value. I don't need to, uh, I don't need to leave it. I don't need to be an apostate to my childhood sense of sports fandom in that sense. It means something to me. And it's nice, especially for someone like me to have something like a tradition. So I'm just very, I'm grateful that the LA Dodgers are the world champions. You know, it's meaningful to me. It's more meaningful than it is joyous. And it's more relieving than it is exciting. And I say that with awareness that maybe that's a sad thing for me. Maybe I'm <laughs> am I incapable of investing myself in something that could reward me to this extent? You know, compared to my dad, who's so invested and so overjoyed and excited that his team has won, you know. But, you know, the converse of that is, what if they lost? And they have. And he's been so crushed every year by that. And I've seen that take a toll on him. And it's so great that they've won now. But it does make me wonder how cynical I've become. How calloused I've become from experiencing so much you know, heartbreak, disappointment, frustration in life, you know, I've kind of become more guarded, more, yeah, more guarded, which is not necessarily a good thing. But I also like to think of it as something like a, a wisdom and also a discerning discrimination against that which could hurt me versus that which could reward me more so like investing my time in good art good cinema good literature and people that I find more trustworthy and sports is just a bad bet I think it's just a a huge gamble and it's a game it's a it's a game you know how much can you care (laughs) and I feel that whenever I play any game or watch anything it's like If I'm playing a card game with friends or a board game, it's like I get I think it's weird when people get so invested and they they get so competitive or so angry or something like it's a game. You can like literally walk away and forget about it in five minutes, you know, but life is a game, right? Life is a series of games. It's all kind of gamified, You know, finding a career is kind of a game like dating is a game, right? Everything can be gamified, working out, you know, like, um, have you done your, you know, this many steps in your day, you know, reach the next level. Like we do have this kind of built in sense of competition and gaming. (sighs) I don't like it. (laughs) I just don't, I don't know. I don't like it. And maybe I'm still at odds with it. There's something about this that I'm not at peace with maybe. And maybe I do need to compete more. Maybe I need to try harder. Maybe I need to put more of my emotions on the line. Maybe I need to invest more of my energy in things that I can't control, you know, in the fields of love and money and career and this kind of stuff. Like maybe there are lessons to be learned. Maybe I can glean more from being a sports fan, maybe. And I think now that my team has won and they are indisputably the best, you know, they've been arguably the best for the past five years, like I've said, but they haven't had this championship and that is how you prove it in sports. That is the proof. And I think that's a flawed thing, you know, like, I don't know, I think of movies. I love movies much more than sports. Movies are directed, they're scripted, they're produced with intention and vision, and they have narrative structures built into them, and we humans crave that. We find that in sports, some of us, but I would rather find it in a film or a book or a series because I can rely on it producing a desired effect, and that's what I want in the human experience. I want my consciousness affected by external forces. It's inevitable. And I want to understand the world deeply. And I think we all reach out for something like a narrative, like storytelling for that purpose. But wouldn't you prefer that it's good, that it makes some sense even if the point is that life doesn't make sense wouldn't you prefer it to be told really well and competently and for the right kind of things to happen that actually ring true in a way you're you're kind of guaranteed that with good art with good storytelling and in sports it's just rare that things work out quote the right way and i know a lot of people do get off on this idea of how unpredictable events like sporting events are I don't get that. I just don't get it, you know? It, to me it's like it's like taking drugs. When people take drugs, they do so to alter their consciousness in an interesting but predictable way. Not predictable boring like you know exactly how it goes, but you should know what to expect going in and it will blow your mind potentially in a really cool way. But who out there just says, oh, just give me anything. I have no idea what will happen to me, but it should be exciting. Let's do it. Like, doesn't that sound a little unhinged? That's what sports fans sound like to me. You know, it's like a very crazy endeavor. Like, I have no idea how this team's going to be, but I'm going to invest myself in it. I'm going to spend a lot of my time and energy investing in this thing. And if it doesn't work out, I will be (laughs) crushed. It's not a good investment. It's a bad bet. Sports do offer something that film doesn't quite reach, even in a nice packed cinema where you're experiencing it with people. You don't have the same community, camaraderie, that you might have at a really large, exciting, live sports event. COVID-19 accepted. This is an arena where we can gather as a huge group. I mentioned this before, so let me go into this deeper. There's another way to do that, and that's with live music, the concert of your favorite band. Isn't that better? Sporting events do have their uh, the work put in to make sure that they're that they go off without a hitch, that they succeed in being entertainment. But you just can't manage everything, can you? But a concert is designed with a lighting set up and a set list of songs and the performer knowing exactly what they're going to do. And if that performer is great, they hit all their notes and they communicate exactly what they want into your body. And you get to experience it with everyone shoulder to shoulder. COVID-19 accepted of course, 2020 aside, you get to be a part of something as a community in this spiritual connection to this perfect thing that you love. It's your favorite artist performing your favorite songs with all these strangers around you cheering and connecting and singing along like, uh it's awesome. Concerts are awesome. You know, I, I appreciate the community element of celebrating these kind of beautiful nuances and emotions in life. And doing that together, even like a sad song, a triumphant song, all these things, it's so great. It's no wonder that pop stars are so revered in our society. It makes a lot of sense. Sports stars are revered as well, and it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that we pay an athlete who can, like, kick a ball really well so much money and that that guy gets to live like a king, like literally like a king, you know? And why? Because he kicks a ball well into a net and that feeling might bring us happiness as a collective fan base. It's so weird to me that we do that. And it's just so tribal that we connect to like the team of our city, you know, or if we're more nerdy about sports, we just appreciate a team from some other city because we just appreciate the, the nuances of the game so much and the way that that team gels or whatever, just on that point of nerdiness and statistics and nuances and details of things. That's another thing that sports do offer people. People can get very obsessive and interested in all the details but there's just so many things in the world to do that with, you know, like you can care about every single personality or every single moment of everything. <laughs> is sports the place you want to do that with? I mean, the answer is yes for so many people, especially guys. And I can't help but think that it's a waste of time, you know. I guess, I mean, I'm sorry to be judgmental. I've been there. I know a lot about sports. Well, maybe not. I know some about sports. I know a lot about other things, and I could imagine that being judged. You know, what? like, why do we fill our heads with so much information? I mean, unless it does something for us, unless we can use it, I just wonder, what's the point of it? I don't know. It, it's, it's funny to me that sports are such a thing. It's like gambling, you know, like I'm not a gambler, like, but people love gambling. People love the the feeling of going and putting their money on the line and not knowing if they'll win or not. But like, they hope they win a lot of money, but maybe they'll lose everything. And the likelihood is that they do lose everything. You know, <laughs> I I don't get it. I just know in my personality that I'm not a gambler and I'm not a sports fan, fundamentally speaking. But because I've been kind of given this sports fandom into my personality as a child, it can never fully disappear. So all I can get is like a satiated sense of rightness in the world when my team wins. And that sucks. That's like not interesting for me. It's actually a burden. But I have it and I carry it. Like I am an LA Dodgers fan. I forever will be an LA Dodgers fan because I'll always... Appreciate Los Angeles, and I'll always appreciate the Dodgers as a franchise with their colors and their players' history. And when they're not the champions, I just have this annoying hole in my life, you know? Like, oh, yeah, my team is not good or whatever. And when they are the champions, all I get is like, good, the world is right. (laughs) And that's what I get to feel today. Like, the world is right. I'm very happy for my dad. Um, because he's had so much on the line. So dad, I love you. I'm happy that you're happy, but I don't even know what that equates to. Like you just get to bring it up here and there. You get to tell your friends like, Oh yeah, the Dodgers were the best. Like, what do you get? What do you get from that? You know what I mean? Like at least with a great film, I can like reflect on it. You know, like I'm doing my next podcast on films, by the way. Um, it's going to be a lot trickier than that, but like a great film, you can just forever reflect on the themes of the, of the drama, the, you know, I guess you can have that with a baseball series as well, but I don't know. It's just always in flux. There's always another game. There's the next season, you know, like everything just changes and it doesn't exist forever like that. Like a work of art. you know, you can't put the 2020 baseball, LA Dodgers, in a museum I guess you can I guess you can but it's it's not an object it's not like an art object is a marriage of form and and a concept that's what art is and it can be seen as an object it can be experienced reliably anytime right there because it's in front of you <clears throat> and Sports are so much more ephemeral, and I guess that's the beauty. I guess sports fans listening to this will contend that everything I'm saying is why they love it. Well, I'm happy for the Los Angeles Dodgers and all of LA and their fans. Um, All is right in the world. They are the best team, and now they have proof, and that is great. And it's like Malcolm Gladwell says about the underdog. It is disturbing when the underdog wins because there is the the opposite side of that there is the agony of the expected team losing which is so much worse it's just so much worse than what is gained from an underdog winning and so it's just the only just thing you can do if you care about justice at all is cheer for the favorite to cheer for the the team that should win And it's just really nice when the best team does win. I think it's just a tragedy when they don't. And it's been tragic the last few years. And so it's like a monkey off your back now that they have finally did it as they should have done it. They were designed to do it. Everyone has expected them to do it. And now they have. (laughs) So good. That's nice. (laughs) That's all you can say. All right. That's been my little... That's been the podcast about sports. Until next time. Ciao.